Are you tired of lugging around bulky exercise equipment? Does it feel like a workout just to find time to work out? Come on! Mikey Fresh here with a new workout guaranteed to work your core more than any other product on the market today. Introducing Anytime Core, the only workout program that works your core wherever you go. Like in the office, at home, or just hanging out with friends. With Anytime Core, the world is your gym. Yeah. My program includes 10 DVDs with 500 unique moves, including the Big Spender. The professional squat and the stop sign sit-up. With Anytime Core, say goodbye to messy powders, expensive creams that just don't work, and enjoy the freedom to get your burn on wherever you go. Like at the dentist, at the park, even in your car. All the workouts at Anytime Core are totally customizable, allowing you to make each move as easy or as difficult as you want. With Anytime Core, your next workout could be staring you right in the face. So lose a few pounds, fit into those old jeans again, and find the confidence that you've been looking for. I've tried pills, I've tried the gym, I've tried body wraps, but nothing's done it for me like Anytime Core. This is me at my cousin's birthday party three months ago. How embarrassing. But thanks to Anytime Core, I got the BOD just for me. Whatever your motivation is, Anytime Core will get you the bod you've always wanted. But wait, there's more. If you call in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw in a copy of our new DVDs, Anytime Mom or Anytime Dad, which includes the Freezer Burn, Daycare Dip, and the Minivan Twist. With Anytime Core, I can really feel the burn. Anytime Core got me back in the game. Thanks, Anytime Core. Thanks, Anytime Core. Thanks, Anytime Core. Anytime Core, the way to train your core anytime. I love it. I love it. Anytime Core, who needs P90X, right? Who needs Body Fit or CrossFit or Body by Jake? Whatever happened to Jake, the ponytail guy? I don't know what happened to that guy. But many of you guys are into exercising, and all the rage today is to exercise the core, right? I mean, we know this. The core is important. I'm told that the core helps you with coordination, it helps you with balance, it helps you with endurance, it'll actually help you breathe better. I'm even told that when you exercise the core, it helps the brain communicate with the body better, more efficiently. And that's great if you're a basketball player or if you're a mom with toddlers, you know, you're twisting and turning, that's a good thing to have. And so it makes sense to exercise the core. You actually have a muscle that goes around your waist called the TVA muscle. And it supports all your structures, including your lower back. So if you have a bad lower back, it's important to work the core. In fact, if the core is weak, then the body will be fragile. It just makes sense to work the core. But there is another core you know. I don't know if you know this, but there's a deeper core. There's actually a core that affects all of life. And so it would make sense to work those muscles. 
to work those muscles in life that help us have balance and coordination when life throws curveballs at us and twists and turns to help us have endurance when we feel like we can't face another insurmountable day. The kind of core work in our life that helps us to get up and face another challenging day or to recover after long seasons in life. It just makes sense to work that core because if that core is fragile, then all of life will be fragile. Christianity at its very core, the very essence of the Christian faith, was never meant to be some sort of cold, rigid religion. It was never meant to be judgmentalism or manipulation or control. It's never meant to be behavior modification, just if I do the right things and I don't do the wrong things. That's never what Christianity was meant to be. Following after Jesus was always meant to be a journey of faith, of hope, and of love. This is the Christian faith at its very core. And we all need faith, hope, and love, right? I mean, we need faith because we look into the future and it's sort of a fog. The Apostle Paul in the Bible writes that one day we'll see face to face. One day we'll see clearly, but right now we only see in part. We only know in part. We need faith. And we all need hope because hope is that light. It's that light in a dark tunnel where we don't think we can get through another day. Hope is what keeps us from going from discouragement to depression to despair. We need hope in life. And we all need love because we were made to love. We were created to love and be loved. And love makes everything better. Isn't this, isn't this why you exercise? Those of you that are getting older and you're trying to keep your body in shape, you don't even like it, but you'll discipline yourself because you want to live a better life. We exercise the core of Christianity, faith, hope, and love, because we know that it makes life better. Our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Brad Franklin, isn't here with us this morning. I think it's the first time in 25 years he hasn't been at an Easter service at Lakeside. And he's been working out his core of faith, hope, and love. He's been on this journey. Some of you have followed his blog, Benediction. You can find a link to it on our website. And he's been journaling, and it's been beautiful. On Thursday afternoon, he called me and he walked me through the last moments that he had with his mom as him and his siblings and his wife, Donna, have been on this journey to see her pass on into glory. And one of the reasons why it's been such a powerful thing is because he's been working out faith, hope, and love for years. Ah, we all need to have a strong core. And so we're going to be in this series, it's a little mini-series for the next three weeks, and we want you to be here. We encourage you to come back because we're going to unpack these things. What does it mean to live with faith? What does faith do for us? What does it mean to live with hope and to live a life of love? And today, we simply begin with faith because that's where it all starts, right? With a step of faith. And so if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone, there might be a Bible around you, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of John in the New Testament, John chapter 11. In the New Testament, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in chapter 11 of John, there's this story. It's an encounter that Jesus has with some old friends. It's about a week before he'll go to the cross and he'll die and he'll rise again. And he has this encounter of faith with these three friends of his. And in the beginning of John chapter 11, it says that there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. And then Jesus travels back and he gets there and he finds out that Lazarus has been dead for four days in the tomb. And then down in verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And then down in verse 32, it's her sister Mary's turn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He has been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands, and feet, his, hands and, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And later on in the narrative, we see that some will believe and some don't. And then six days later, Jesus will go to the cross. He will die, and on the third day, he will rise again. And now for 2,000 years, people have been placing their faith and their trust and their lives in the hands of this same Jesus. And because Jesus is alive, we can have a life of faith, of hope, and of love.
I just want to share three simple observations from this narrative this morning about faith. And the first one is this. It's that faith helps us endure unfulfilled expectations. Isn't life filled with expectations that go unfulfilled? I mean, isn't that the way it is? Proverbs, a book in the Bible, says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we know what that's like, right? I mean, we have expectations in life. It says here in this narrative that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were loved by Jesus. And now Lazarus is sick to the point of death. And so they send word to Jesus, but he doesn't come. And they can't figure out why. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. It's one of those contradictions of life. It's one of those things that we face at times where we say, why God? Why now? Why me? And why this? And we struggle to answer the question. This is normal and true because we all have expectations in life. And there's almost nothing more painful than an unfulfilled expectation. They're, they're, they're all over life. You had them when you got married, if you're married. I mean, you know what it's like. You meet somebody, you fall in love, and, and you get engaged, you go to the altar, and you have this dream of a life together. But also often in our culture today, the marriage breaks. And even when couples stay together, one couple will often say, man, this guy, he hasn't changed at all. He's the same guy. I expected him to change. And then the other person will say, she's the same she was when I married her. I thought that she would change too. And then maybe they'll say, oh my goodness, you've changed so much. You're not the person that I married. I mean, you know what that's like to have expectations and dreams. We have them with our kids, those little bundles of joy, those little packages of potential. But anybody that has teenagers realizes that you have to adjust your expectations sometimes, right? I mean, this is the way life rolls. We have expectations with our jobs. We have them with our friends, where we're going to live. We even have them in our places of worship. Life is filled with them. About six or seven years ago, uh, I moved my family from right outside of Boulder, Colorado, down to Austin, Texas. And we had been laid off, and we were about to lose our house, and money was tight. Some of you know that story. And and we moved our family down to Austin, Texas, because I had gotten a new job just in the nick of time God had provided. And we were excited. And about a month after I got there, I was told that one of the main reasons why I went to this church would be taken off my plate and given to somebody else. And that was tough. And then three months later, a second thing was taken off my plate and given to somebody else. And then three months later, a third thing was taken off my plate. And I found myself in the midst of this journey trying to learn how to be a positive and joyful pastoral influence while I tried to manage my own disappointment, disillusionment, my hurt, my frustration. I mean, you know what that's like. But imagine, that was the job. Imagine being Mary and Martha the disappointment that they must have had. They have seen Jesus do so much for others. When is it going to be my turn, Lord? What about us? But faith gives us strength. It helps us to endure the dark tunnel of unfulfilled expectations. And so what about you? Where do you need faith in your life today? Where has life taken a twist and a turn? And now you find yourself in the middle of something that was unexpected and unwanted. One of the authors of the Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
I love that, the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is something that gives us this supernatural comfort for our heart. It gives us the ability, the conviction of things that aren't yet seen. It gives us the ability to move into action, into that fog, when we don't think we can take another step. It's what helps the people of God walk by faith and not by sight because this is the way God's people have always had to walk, by faith and not by sight. And so the question is, do you know this kind of faith, the kind that helps you endure, the kind that helps you to thrive? I believe that Martha knew it. I believe that she knew it because she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And we see her putting her faith in Jesus and she even surrenders to his will. There's something that she starts to understand about the authority of Jesus. She says, whatever you ask, Jesus, and she puts her faith not in a philosophy, not in some sort of cold-hearted religion. She puts her faith in a person, the person of Jesus And because of Easter, because Jesus is alive, you and I can have that same faith, a living faith, a faith that helps us endure unfulfilled expectations. That's number one. Here's number two. Faith helps us to endure or helps us to enter a new life right now. It helps us to enter new life here, today, right now. When Jesus says that your brother will rise again, Martha agrees. Oh yeah, I know he'll rise again on the last day at the end of the story. She believed, like all good Orthodox Jews at the time, except for maybe the Sadducees, believed that one day at the very end of it all that God would return and that he would be king and that he would set all things right. They believed the Hebrew scriptures like Isaiah chapter 11 that says justice will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? The waters are the sea. They looked forward to this one time, this time in the future that's talked about in Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 66 that says that all things will be set right, that there will be a new cosmos and a new earth, and things like ugliness and injustice and pain will cease, while things like beauty and joy, those things will thrive. They believed this. And you know what? Christians today are not very much unlike their predecessors. We believe that one day God will return as well. We believe that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And by faith, we believe in a God who says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And he says that there will be no more death or grieving or crying or pain. By faith, we believe that all these things will pass away. Martha believes this, but her rather flat response shows that it isn't very comforting at the moment. She's just lost her brother. But Jesus says something that she's not prepared for. Jesus brings the future into the present. He brings what was supposed to happen at the end of time right to the middle of time, and he says, I am. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and life isn't just a Christian doctrine. It's not just a teaching of the church. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus who was standing right in front of Martha. And he simply asks her, do you believe? It's the same question that he asks each of us. 
Now, I know faith is, is, is hard for some of you. For some of you, it comes really easy. You know, you're like that, that little child that just believes and trusts, and, and that's great, and I envy that. Faith comes a little harder for me, and for a lot of us, it's just a difficult thing, right? When my brother and I were young dads, and our kids were little, about two or three, we used to play that game that all dads love, all kids love, and moms hate to watch it. It's that game where you take your little toddler, your little fragile toddler, and you throw them up in the air about 10 to 15 feet. And it's awesome because you watch their face of panic on the way down as they're flailing their arms, and then you catch them. And if your kids are like my little girl was when she was small, she used to say, do it again, Daddy, do it again, until one time. (laughs) I threw her up in the air, and I guess I was throwing her too high because she panicked a little bit, and she grabbed my shirt, and her legs flew over my head, and I guess I had a pretty strong core back then, because so, I reached over and I grabbed her just in the nick of time. And I looked over at my wife, and she was disappointed in me. <laughs> and I don't think Michaela trusted me so much anymore, and I know my wife didn't have any faith in me after that. She's like, don't play that game anymore. Faith is difficult, right? The beautiful thing about Jesus that, is that he gets that. He understands that. In fact, He had to walk by faith himself. I don't know if you know this. On the earth, in his journey, he had to entrust himself to the Father. And it got to the point where right before he went to the cross, he was in the garden praying. And the book of Luke says that he was so stressed, he was in such agony, that he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. But even then, he took that step of faith with his own father, and he said, your will be done, not mine. And then he went to the cross for you and for me. He understands. He weeps because his friend is dead. He's troubled in spirit. That's one of those rare times in the Bible. I mean, you can trust your English translation, but that's one of those times. It's it's almost like, you know, when you speak a foreign language and you're trying to translate some things and there's just not a great translation for it. And so you just got to kind of translate the mood. That's what that is right there. When it says that he was deeply moved and troubled in spirit, it's as though he was just frustrated. He was he was angry at the brokenness of this world. He was, he was just, man, what is wrong with this place? And he realizes what that's like for you and for me, to be broken, to have relationships that are broken, to be broken in and of ourselves. And so he gets that faith is difficult. Jesus was the ultimate realist. Later on in John's gospel, he'll say, in this life, you will have trouble. And ain't that the truth? But he also says, take heart, have courage, walk by faith, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the grave, sin, the enemy, and because I have overcome, I'm not just the ultimate realist, but Jesus is also the ultimate victor. And this is what Easter is about, that he is alive and he has been victorious. And because of that, we can as well. And so the question is, do you believe this? That's the question. Faith helps us enter new life right now. That's the second one. Here's the last one. Faith helps us to embrace the impossible. Jesus says the unthinkable here. He says, take away the stone. Take away the stone? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Martha, the ever-practical one, reminds Jesus that when bodies are dead and they're in the grave for four days, they tend to stink. 
So don't make us smell this, Jesus. We don't want to go through that. The rest of the Jews standing around are probably thinking, is this like Fear Factor Jerusalem edition? Like, what's going on here? Take away what stone? I think I have an appointment back in town. I mean, it was ludicrous. Resurrection, by definition, is impossible. And yet Jesus tells Martha, didn't I tell you, just believe and you will see the glory of God. And then he prays for everybody around to believe. And John writes his gospel near the end of the first century so that his generation would believe. And then the gospel is passed down generation after generation. And at the end of John's gospel, he says that these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Christ, the anointed one who was to come and set things right, to be the ultimate victor, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. This is Easter. The story goes on. I mean, I love the drama of this story. Jesus yells at Lazarus to come out of the grave. He says, take off the grave garb right in front of everyone. And Jesus' only instructions are to take them off and just let them go. And the impossible happens. The impossible happens because when we embrace Jesus by faith, And he moves to the center of our lives, the most helpful spot in our lives. Transformation begins to happen, and he does the impossible. But that that is faith's specialty. Faith's specialty is doing the impossible. And when you follow Jesus by faith and you just surrender your life to his will, he not only begins to transform you into a new creation and he begins to redefine you, but he heals the past. He forgives the past and he begins to paint paint this beautiful picture of a new creation of beauty and dignity and of grace. Grace. 